Get out your hymnal supplement. We're on hymn 806. We started it last week, so this week we're on stanza two. Uh, it is a advent or a returning, Christ's returning kind of hymn. And last week we had quite a bit of the imagery of the night and the dawn and Christ being the new morning star who is coming. And so we are the church who is praying as we wait for Christ's return. And so we live in this, you would say, land of darkness, uh, but we are gathered in the church praying. Stanza number two, the one whom angels tended, comes near a child to serve. Comes near a child to serve. The one whom angels tended comes near a child to serve. The one whom angels tended comes near a child to serve. So our Savior comes, becomes a child, and draws near to us. Um, this is none other than our God who... Uh, you would say, all, all glorious with his angels, and yet he comes taking on human flesh. What's the purpose that he comes? Serve. To serve. He comes to serve. He comes to serve us. Uh, he doesn't come to enact a, uh, uh, a required service on our behalf. He doesn't come to uh, demand he comes to give. He comes to serve us uh, with his words and his life and his action. And so, thus God the judge offended, thus God the judge offended. Bears, all our sins deserve. bears all our sins deserve. So Jesus then, who is too true God, he comes, and what does he do? He bears all our sins. Thus God, the judge offended, bears all our sins deserve. Thus God, the judge offended, bears all the sins deserve. The guilty need not cower. The guilty need not cower. For God has reconciled. For God has reconciled. The guilty need not cower, for God has reconciled. The guilty need not cower, for God has reconciled. Why does someone cower? Out of fear. Out of fear. Out of uh, fear that the retribution is coming, the punishment is coming. Uh, and so it says, we who are guilty uh, can trust. We can trust that we have a Savior, one who has uh, borne all our sins deserved. And so uh, uh, he has reconciled. Uh, that is, he has taken the two sides and brought them together. Let's see how the rest of it plays out. Through his redemptive power, through his redemptive power, all those who trust this child. All those who trust this child. So going back, for God has reconciled through his redemptive power all those who trust this child. For God has reconciled through his redemptive power all those who trust this child. All right, redemption, uh, redeem, buy back. 
Uh, this is an atonement word. This is what Christ has done. What has he done? He's come to take upon our sins. He has come to pay the price uh, for the whole world. And so this redemptive power that he has to redeem us back, he did it as true God and true man, uh, that he might take all that our sins deserve. As it goes on, concerning that redemption that he won, all those who trust this child, there is faith. Trust is the same thing as faith. What happens? Well, that redemption, that atonement is preached, that there might be faith created through the word, where there is those who trust this child, faith, in that redemption, well, it results in a reconciliation, a reconciling. That is, we need not fear, for we have been brought back together. Um, it's not simply a matter of uh, uh, announcement, it's a matter of restoration. Yes, God was angry, he took that away, and now he treats us in a very good way. Tonight we'll be talking about uh, forgiveness and um, uh, forgiving our neighbor. And so uh, maybe you have heard someone uh, say something like, you know, well, they, they, they did this to me, and, and I forgave them, but, but I don't have anything to do with them. You're going to go, wait a minute. If there's forgiveness, there is a reconciling. There is a coming back together, that which follows. And so uh, here you see that uh, uh, reconciliation um, that God has worked uh, for all who have faith, all who trust this child. Questions? Stanza number two of hymn 806. in the Catechism. We're moving on to the Lord's Prayer. The first is the Ten Commandments. What are they? The law. the law. They show us our sin. The Apostles' Creed is second. What is it? Gospel. It tells us what God has done and who he is. Who he is is one who is loving and does these things for us and secures our salvation. So if the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed are the law and the gospel, they're a summary of what? The word itself. Exactly. And so here is the word, God's word, that speaks to us. Well, after God speaks to us, he wants us to speak back to him. That's what prayer is. It is our speaking back to him what he has told us. 
And so, with the Lord's Prayer, uh, there are, well, many things that hmm, repeat what we've already talked about in the commandments or have mentioned in the creed. We'll get to the first petition tonight. Uh, Hallowed be thy name, first petition, corresponds to a commandment. Which one? Second commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. So we have the name mentioned in both. God tells us, don't misuse my name. What do we pray? Hallowed be thy name. We want his name to be holy. We want to keep it holy. Uh, and so we're asking for the things that he tells us. All right, Lord's Prayer. Let's start with the introduction. We have an introduction, our Father who art in heaven. We've got seven petitions, and we've got a conclusion. Introduction. Our Father who art in heaven. What does this mean? With these words... God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and we are his true children. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and we are his true children. With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and we are his true children. All right. When did he become our father? Hmm. Uh-oh. little hesitance. When we were baptized. We always go back to baptism. Um, it may be that you came to faith, and yes, whenever there is faith, that would in fact be uh, when you became his child, and he became our father. Um, nevertheless, when did Jesus become God's son? Eternity. The trick question. He has always been. He is the only begotten from eternity. And so there has never been a time when he has not been. But for us, we go, well, to where God has done it. We are his adopted children. Um, now, God invites us. What does Jesus do? Uh, Jesus says, say, our Father who art in heaven, call God your father. It is an invitation. An invitation to believe. An invitation to believe what? Okay. Um, how do we know this? You bet. Because of the removal of our sins through the death of Jesus. Absolutely. And so, where there was anger over our sins, now God has removed that and says, I am your father. Now, that all being said, um, 
God being the Father, our Father in heaven, he's always been our Father in heaven. Well, he's always been the Father in heaven. <laughs> For us, we have turned away. We have not. Has he changed? No, our God doesn't change. Um, our God, we have changed. We've fallen into sin. We have gone away. He has already determined at the beginning that he might win us back. His love towards us um, is so that he sent us his son. He desires that through faith that we would come to be his children. Well, that only comes through an in invitation, we would say, through the gospel message, the power of the gospel, uh, that creates faith. And thus, through faith, there is a reconciling of, uh, of us, between the Father and us. So, when we say, our Father who art in heaven, we are declaring there has been a relationship. A relationship that God has restored by means of his Son. With these words, we tenderly... With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and we are his true children. So that with all boldness and confidence, so that with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him, as dear children ask their dear father. So, what does he want? He desires us to ask him. What if someone says, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I just don't pray. Can you be a Christian who doesn't pray? <laughs> I think that'd be pretty tough because, I, I, number one, is you're supposed to pray, <laughs> and number two is why would you not want to talk to the, to the Creator Very good. It would be like being married to somebody saying, I love you, but I'll never want to see you again. Right, right. First thing you said, we're told to. There is a command to pray. Absolutely. Um, no, that's law. Um, we're commanded to pray, but uh, um, if you believe in God, he's commanded us to. Second. He has given great blessings to prayer. He has promised to hear. He has promised to answer. He has promised to give all who trust in him and who ask according to his will. Um, there are great benefits that he has promised with this. And so not only does he command it, but he also says, ask me for these things that I want to give you. Um, and says, yes, I, I will. So obviously, I think as you say third, why then not? Um, three? You had something else? Very good. Um, not only do we have um, things that we ask for, things that we need, because, well, we've got a sinful world, we've got the devil, but we've also been given great things. And the Lord asked that our life be a thanksgiving. Well, yeah, that involves prayer, or return. We also realize our sins, absolutely. Um, and this is where we speak the truth concerning that. So here the Lord invites us and says, you can speak to me because you can come in boldness and confidence. That's the faith word again. 
What is the boldness? I can boldly come up to God and I can ask him for maybe an apple. Is that about it? Maybe, I don't know, maybe half an apple this week. Um, what, can I, what can I boldly ask him for? I could ask him for, well, I wouldn't want to ask him for something, not too much. I mean, maybe not like a new pair of jeans. I could ask him for an old pair of jeans, maybe. How about that? Would that be bold? That would be kind of bold for a sinner to ask for just, I mean, because I already have one pair of jeans. So, you know, to, I maybe, well, maybe I shouldn't even ask for that. Something minor like eternal life. <gasps> eternal life? Wow. That's like a huge thing, Dan. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, can we, that would be a bold request, right? Um, if the king came to you and said, ask for anything, you kind of go, well, what can I ask? What, would that be too much? Would it be too great? Dan says, no, let's blow the lid off the whole thing. Let's ask for eternal life. What do you think? It's, it's what he's told us to ask for. Wow. His blessings. Oh, yes. He's promised to give us, yes, blessings beyond compare. Everything that has to do with our daily bread, all of this life, even spiritual things like forgiveness and eternal life and blessings and peace and, uh, wow. Um, yes, he's told us these things, and so he said, ask, here, I'm giving out. Um, hmm. For us to only ask for half an apple when he wants to give us eternal life, what's that to say to God? Well, he never told us to ask for half an apple. No. <laughs> Um, it sounds kind of pious, though, when I act like I'm not going to. But it's not. It's unfaithfulness, absolutely. Um, so we should come with boldness. We should come to uh, uh, say, I am your child, and I've come to ask you. Um, especially when it appears in this world that things aren't the way they should be. God says, I promise I'll take care of you. And then you lose your job, and you go, oh, now, wait a minute. And God doesn't want us to walk away. He wants us to not let go of him, but come to him and say, you promised, Lord. Um, and so when uh, uh, sickness, when what, what, whatever comes uh, this way and it appears that God is not keeping his promises, we're not to stop. Um, we're to come with boldness. We're to come with a confidence of knowing that, no, God does give me my daily bread. No, God does forgive me my sins. I'm not being punished for them. So, our, our Savior says, call him our Father, our Father who art in heaven. Uh, we have a Father here on earth, our own biological Father. Uh, this is the Father who, you would say, uh, his abode, we tend to think in that way, um, it's not that he is far away in heaven and he's not here, um, but to say that he, you might say, hails from heaven, goes out from heaven, he can fill the entire universe. This is the one uh, who can, can be in all places at all times and yet provide for us. Let's go on to the first petition. Hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? God's name is certainly holy in itself. God's name is certainly holy in itself. But we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. That it may be kept holy among us also. 
God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. Hallowed is a way of saying, let your name be holy. Uh, hallowed be your name. Um, we've got uh, All Hallows' Eve coming up. Um, Hallows' Day is All Saints' Day, All Holy People Day. That would be All Saints' Day. The day before that is All Hallows' Eve, to which most abbreviate it to Halloween. All Hallows' Eve becomes Halloween. Uh, um, hallow, sanctify, holy, make holy. Uh, God has given us his, his name. This is my name. He gave it to Moses. Um, that his name was, was Yahweh, that his name was I Am, uh, the one who exists. He wants us to use that name. He wants us to, well, use it for its purpose. We can't make it holy. We can't take God's name and say, well, I'm going to um, write it in calligraphy, that would make it holy, it would make it special, set apart. Um, or we're going to put glitter on it, that would make it name, you know, holy somehow. Um, no. Um, there are those who rightly, um, knowing that God's name is already holy, uh, when his name is, they might bow their head as an uh, acknowledgement that God is their, their king uh, at the name of Jesus. The, the head bows. But we can't make it holy. We can't do something to it. It's already. God has given it to us as a gift. By the way we use that gift, we can either use it in a holy way, or he's given us his name. We can misuse his name. We can use it for the wrong purposes. Why does God give us his name? It's a, it's a big gift. So, first of all, we want to make sure that we're using it rightly. What's it for? What do you use your name for? Address them in prayer. All right. Um, a name is a way that you have access to someone. All of a sudden, God says, here is my name. You call upon me. Where you call upon my name, you're calling upon me. This is an access point. We address him in prayer. So God wants us to use his name in prayer. Tell me more about this prayer. What kind of praying do we do with his name? So, I'm going to take his name and I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to have a prayer. It's going to say the word Jesus uh, 40 times. It's kind of a religious number. We'll say Jesus 40 times and then amen. Ready? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I think that's it, right? How does that work? <laughs> it's prayer. Calling on him.
Good. Um, so, uh, at times, you're right, we take something, we say, this is my book, I'm going to put my name on it, ownership belongs to me. Um, let's take it more in the sense of people. So, there are those who uh, share the name, um, a son and a daughter, whom we have given the name Henson, said, aha, they, they belong to us, they are a part of our, our, our family. And so you put the name upon them and you say, yep, that, that's one of them. Um, if I bring in a murderer and I say, yeah, that's a Henson right there, you kind of go, wait a minute, I don't know that guy. What do you mean that's a Henson? Um, what you're doing is you're taking and saying, that belongs to you. Is that a part of you? Is that a part of what it means to be a Henson, a murderer? Wait a minute, no, no, no. Um, well, God also says, I'm going to give you my name. Baptism. You come in and you say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, who am I going to baptize? I'm going to baptize Jonathan Andrew. The Henson name, that's the family name that came with being born in this world. His, his name now is Christian. Jonathan, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I leave off the Henson I leave off the family name because now he gets a new family name. He's called a Christian. All right, each one of you, therefore, through faith and in your baptism, you are a son of God. You are a Christian. Hmm. What does that mean? You are all in the family of Christ. Uh, you have a heavenly father who provides and takes care of you. How should you live as a child of God who has the name Christian? <laughs> a lot better than we do. Very good. <laughs> exactly. As one who honors the Father. As one who honors the Father. If you don't, if you go around cursing, stealing, murdering, and someone says, oh, that's what a Christian, that's a Christian right there, huh? That's what they do. What? Um, it takes God's name, who he is, and, and doesn't treat it in a hallowed way. No, we ought to strive not to. You're right, we do fall into sin. I, 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 uh, and we ought to then use his name to repent uh, of that as well. God puts his name on things. He puts his name on teaching. Ah, here, let me give you some teaching. The teaching is, is that uh, we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ who died for you. And we say, yep, that's God's. That's God's teaching. That's God's doctrine. But what if someone comes along and says, well, God helps those who help themselves. So if, if you work hard, God will help you. And if they put God's name on that, is that his teaching? No, not at all. Um, and so to put God's name on that is to attribute to God falsehood. Uh, to attribute to God immoral living, to attribute to God, you know, no, we don't want to do that. That takes his name and, and, and tears it down. God has given us his name to call upon it. He wants us to use his name to attach it to the true teaching, the holy word, God's word. This is God's word. This is what God teaches. Uh, I want to set that a, a apart from that which is false uh, when the devil comes and, and tries to accuse and, and uh, deceive and lead us into false belief, uh, despair, and other great shame and vice. No. Um, 
So I'm going I'm to put that, that name on there. I'm going to use uh, uh, God's name for, uh, for teaching and also for uh, our, our lives in Christ. Um, I'm going to use it to call upon him because that is the way in which he has promised to hear us. So, as we go back, God's name is certainly holy in itself, uh, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. What about this? How is God's name kept holy? Repeat after me. God's name is kept holy. When the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. When the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. And we as the children of God. And we as the children of God. Also lead holy lives according to it. Also lead holy lives according to it. So we're going to use God's name for God's word. Teaching in its truth and purity. We're going to use God's word for our uh, living, that we might lead holy lives, uh, that it might be uh, shown that God is, is true. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word, profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. So if this is the first petition, and it corresponds to the second commandment, what does the first commandment correspond to in the Lord's Prayer? Say that again. I knew you were going to say that, Karen. If the first petition speaks about the name of God, and the second commandment speaks about the name of God. What about the first commandment? Introduction. I just explained it, right? Yeah, the introduction tells us who the one true God is. Now that you've got the one true God with the introduction, we're immediately ready for the first petition. What's the second petition? Maybe it corresponds to a commandment. We'll have to see. Page 224, please stand. O oh Lord, open my lips. And declare your praise. Make haste, O oh God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O oh Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ. Alleluia.
may be seated. The reading is on the back of your bulletin. It's from Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved, and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This is God's word. Our hymn is hymn 806. night will soon be ending, the dawn cannot be far. Let songs of praise ascending now greet the morning star. All you whom darkness frightens with guilt or grief or pain, God's radiance are now brightened and bids you sing again. The one whom angels tended comes near a child to serve. Thus God the judge offended bears all our sins deserve. The guilty need not cower, for God has reconciled. Through his redemptive power, all those who trust this child. The earth in sure 
will soon bring morning bright. So run where God's salvation glows in our stable bright. As cold as sin's perversion, His race and just design. God brings a new creation, this child its seal and sign. Yet night will bring their sadness and rob our hearts of peace. And sin in all its madness around us may increase. But now one star is beaming whose rays appears the night. God comes for our redeeming from sin's oppressive might. God dwells with us in darkness and spreads his light abroad. But we resist the brightness and turn away from God. Yet grace does not forsake us, though far from home we run. His children God has made us through his beloved Son. Peter's got a question for Jesus. How often, how often should I forgive? In particular, he even talking about a, a brother, uh, one in the church, one who is uh, a sinner as we are, but who is confessing his sin. Uh, how often? Once? Well, you know, maybe even an unbeliever would say once or twice, you know. Um, three, four times, hmm, that's multiplying it. Peter says, how about seven? Pretty good holy number. Um, seven days in a week, it'd be like, be like doing it every day uh, in a week. Mm. You know, I, there's things I do, but every day, is there, I mean, how many things do you do every day? Uh, forgive, would you, how about that? Jesus like it, seven days? Does he think Peter is really going above and beyond? Where's the limit? Surely there's a limit as to how loving we should really be. You are correct. The law always sets limits. It always measures. It always stops. It always. And so here is someone saying, "Let's put a limit on this. This 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 forgiving thing. Uh, how about seven? And then we'll call it quits." No, Jesus says to him, seventy times seven, or seventy-seven, or what? You know, I just above and beyond. There, you, you can't count that. Um, Jesus says, absolutely not. Um, you're not even close. Um, it's a number that you can't count. And so Jesus, yes, is going to teach us how the gospel works. What's this story about? Um, 
What are those words that I'm always looking for? Jesus is telling what? The way things work in the kingdom. What's the kingdom? The church. 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like. Here's what the church is like. Here's what the assembly of the believers here on earth is like. He said there is a king. And there's a man who has racked up a debt of 10,000 uh, talents. Um, I, I don't know, millions of dollars, $10 million, something like that. Um, the master calls him in. The master has him give an account uh, of what he owes and says, I'm going to lock you up. He pleads. Uh, at the end, uh, it talks about uh, mercy. Um, he comes, you would say, pleading for mercy, pleading for time, pleading for, for, for whatever. The king forgives him that debt, that monstrous debt, and sends him away. That servant goes out who has been forgiven by the king find someone else who owes him a couple bucks, ten bucks. Huh. And what does he say? Pay me what you owe. The man's unable. He pleads with him for mercy. What does that servant do? No mercy. That's it. You can't pay me I'm going to throw you in jail, throw your wife in jail, throw your kids in jail. Um, he has absolutely no mercy upon his uh, brother and, and refuses to forgive. The story hits its climax, its aha, with the very next thing. What comes next in the story? Verse 31. Mark? The fellow servant saw it and, and told the master. The fellow servants are appalled. What? How could this happen? Um, they, are, they are grieved to the heart. Why are they so upset? Because they knew that, he, that, the, that the other servant so they're, they're recognizing that this guy said everything forgiven him. You know, 10,000 10, talents is a, is a government's worth of. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's a third of what they used to fight the Peloponnesian War. So it's, you know, it's an unimaginable amount of money. So he's forgiven this horrendous debt for 100 denarii. That's, that's, that's nothing in comparison at all. So here you have this guy who's, everything has been forgiven him. What are the fellow servants concerned about? You're right, this is unbelievable. But it's happened. What is it? What people do it all the time. And we do it. Oh my. Yes? 
We know that this is talking about the church. We know it's talking about how God has forgiven us each and every day, every night as we kneel by our bed and confess our sins. Uh, we, we look at how gracious God has given us. Um, even even our, just the daily life that he provides for us is well beyond, uh, um, you know, he just showers blessings upon us. And, and so we too see this and in the church, what happens when you see a fellow believer who is unmerciful and unforgiving towards another? It makes you, first of all, very sad. And then makes you wonder, don't they know what they were forgiven of themselves? Did they not understand what just happened to them? Whoa. And I think even you probably can tell us all that, too. <laughs> yes. But maybe we see ourselves, too. Maybe we should. Yeah. Well, and we ought to, yes. What we usually do is say, hey, do you know what so-and-so did? Um, I, hate, I hate those words because it usually includes me. Because it usually includes me. Um, first, I think is sadness. As you say, what is the sadness? The sadness is to look and say, you know, you're taking God's grace in vain. You're, you're receiving, and yet, like you say, doesn't that have any effect, don't you? It's like hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and then walking away and kind of going, well, I don't want to hear that anymore. And you kind of go, what? I, you know, I live for that. I, um, and I think next, then we look at this and we're greatly grieved because we say, you know, if, if, if that is in fact true, you are not a Christian. If that is in fact true, it grieves them. Why? Because this is a community. We care. We want the same person. All of us are sinners. All of us need forgiveness. In fact, it's not that Christians don't sin anymore. The difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is we actually confess our sins. We desire mercy. We rely upon the mercy that God is, is giving. And so when we see one of our own, we say, oh no, they're not behaving like a Christian. Um, by all means, what? It says that they go to the king. Uh, they take it to God himself and say, Lord, what about this? Um, what does the king do? He punishes. He does. That is the end game on this. He does something even before, though. Um, he tries. He shows, this, he shows this person their sin again. He does, doesn't he? And he gives them the law, but there's no, there's no gospel. We got the example, we got the story, and then, just like you relayed it right back to me, you went, wait a minute. And so here is the king saying to him again, I forgave you all this, and you did not forget, you know, let me say it to you again. And so he illustrates, says the entire story, but you're right, it is an intent, what? To bring the man to an acknowledgement. It's law. It appears, and, and, and we would say, what do you see with this? You see where uh, um, you know, he's delivered to the tortures and whatever. Obviously, that's the end. That is the last day. That is. What we see going on, though, 
is that we see, we see God's people praying to their God, asking that he would bring people to for repentance and forgiveness, that he would keep their own in the true faith, that they might not get to the final judgment, um, that they might know their sins, that it, they might realize it, that they might return to the love of the Heavenly Father. But you know, those who hang around in the church and yet think, well, I don't have to forgive anyone and I'm not going to, says, no, um, at the end, they will, like the net, pull out the bad fish, will pull out those that refuse to confess, those that refuse to forgive. Um, it's serious. Forgiveness. Right. As we see the end of this, we see the law being delivered for those who do not trust the Heavenly Father, who do not act on uh, uh, following out uh, uh, of that love that, that he has given, and they're not uh, loving to others. Um, just, yes. Just is important. The church has to be just by using the word of God. Correct. The man who was forgiven showed no mercy because he had no faith. That's a church proclamation. From you looked at his fruit and he had none. The church says he has no faith. Now we can't do that individually. Right. Correct. Absolutely. And so, um, in the very same way, and I, I yes, the a good, good point, the, the fruits of faith, <laughs> there are fruits, they can only come from faith. Um, we have a sinful nature that is with us all the time. Uh, thus, there we are always in need of the forgiveness. But where there is the denial of, of that, you have to say, you know, uh, there is no fruits, there is no faith. Um, to those who come and say, oh yes, I believe, but I confess another God, you say, well, no, no, no. You have to have the fruit. The fruits of faith is that you'll confess the creed with us, that you'll confess the true faith. Um, someone who comes and says, um, I'm, you know, I'm a professional thief, and I want to be a member of your congregation. You say, no, that, that is not. There, there is not the fruits. But I have faith. And I go, well, then you will turn from that. Um, you will fight against that. Uh, One of the interesting things about this text is how well it fits in with what we were looking at in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Is, or that is, is maybe kept holy among us, 
And then the question, how is God's name kept holy? God is kept, his name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. And there's not a word in there about good works. There's, there's a word in there leading a holy life, a life of forgiveness, a life of sin and So how many good works do you have to do to be a member of this congregation? <laughs> exactly. And so how many good works do you have to do in order to be the pastor? Less. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, um, what? Well, you're the reverend. You must be revered. You must be... No. Um, no, that... that that's not, we didn't go around and have a holiness contest to determine who's going to be pastor. In fact, that's not the way it works. If you did, you got cheated. You got cheated. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, the forgiveness that the Lord is working, the believers, those in the kingdom, uh, are grieved over those who do not live in the forgiveness uh, that he is giving out. I think you've said it uh, quite well. Uh, comments, questions for tonight? All right, for our prayers, we'll use our pink sheet. What should we ask God for? Thank him, praise, confess. Very good. We'll ask him to make us humble. Help us to forgive others as he forgives us. Yes. And that we would keep his name holy. <laughs> to hallow his name. On your pink sheets. Oh, help me out. Ten Commandments. Uh, Dylan. Apostles' Creed. Colton, Lord's Prayer, Olivia, Baptism, Tom, Confession Absolution, Heidi, and Lord's Supper, Sacrament of the Altar, Jonathan. Please stand. The Ten Commandments teach what we are to do. shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The Apostles' Creed teaches what God doesn't give. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord's Prayer teaches how we should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Holy baptism brings us into the Christian community. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Confession and absolution is the voice of the gospel. It is the proper use of the gospel to believe the absolution of our sins and to be assured that they are forgiven us without any merit of our own. Through Christ and that when we believe the words of absolution, we are assured we reconciled to God the Lord Jesus breathed on his disciples and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The sacrament of the altar is food for the soul. We approach the sacrament in order to receive the 
our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, our refuge and strength, the author of all godliness, be ready, we implore you, to hear the devout prayers of your church, especially in times of persecution. And grant that those things which we ask faithfully, we may obtain effectually. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask that by your word you might make us humble. Also that we would, uh, through faith, be bold and have confidence to come before you uh, because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we ask uh, that you would uh, help us to confess, to receive forgiveness, and also that in our lives and words, uh, that your name might be holy. In this name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.